This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Rich Days tells the story of Father Capadano, also known as the Grunt Padre. Who is Father Capadano? Why is he being considered for canonization? Well, let's find out. Father Rich Days is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Jim Mall. We have Father Rich Days with us this afternoon. And uh, Father Rich is, um, he is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army where he served as a veterinarian. Uh, as he says, he's a vet and a vet. In his usual sense of humor, Father Rich will say he's the product of a very careful natural family planning. His parents had four children and then waited 20 years before he was born. So he's kind of an only child, kind of one of those spoiled guys. After retiring from the Army, Father Rich went to the seminary and was ordained a priest in 2010. He attributes his vocation as a calling from Father Emil Capon. Father Rich has served as pastor of St. Mary's Church in Ellis, Sacred Heart Church in Colby, and is currently the pastor of St. Joseph Church in Hayes. He is a rural life moderator and vicar of priests for the Diocese of Salina. Welcome, Father Rich. And his topic today is Grunt Padre, the story of Father Vincent Capadano. So, Father Rich Dace. Yes, sir. Welcome. Well, thank you. And uh, talk with us about Grunt Padre, the story of Father Vincent Capadano. Well, I was told I was to start with a prayer. So oh, I'm to... sorry. You do... Yes, you are. <laughs> good, thing, good thing you're paying attention. <laughs> so this is a prayer for asking for the intercession of uh, Father Capadano. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. God of peace, you who weep at the violence and wars between your children, help us to walk in the footsteps of your Son. In our darkest hour, be our light, and show us the way to help those in greatest need. Draw to yourself those innocent victims who find themselves surrounded by danger and destruction. Hear the prayers of all who cry out to you for deliverance. Through the intercession of Vincent Capadano, servant of God, grant strength to the weak, courage to the fearful, and hope to all those who mourn. Above all, direct our hands this day to reach out and comfort all who yearn for your coming of your kingdom on earth. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. What's next? Well... <laughs> You're, you're, again, your top topic is Grunt Padre, which I know we're going to find out what a Grunt Padre is, the story okay. of Father Vincent Capadano. Now, obviously in your bio it says that you're a retar- retired lieutenant, lieutenant colonel, excuse me, um, and also a veterinarian. So yes. talk briefly about that and then also talk about, you know, what, um, you know, the... I guess the priests and, and, and the pastors that we have in our lives, how they have served the military and how that has affected us in our lives. Okay. Well, first of all, everyone's wondering why in the heck the Army has veterinarians since we don't have a cavalry anymore. Well, you're slightly wrong on both counts. Veterinarians do more than treat horses. But the military, not just the Army, but the military as a whole has over 2,000 horses and mules. Now, most of these are for ceremonial purposes. However, when I was in Panama, the Air Force Security Police rode patrols through the jungle chasing bad guys on horseback. So those horses were actually being used by the police for the function of their job. Then in addition to that, we have several thousand military working dogs that are spread throughout all of the uh, the different branches of the military. Mm -hmm. The Army is the only one that has has veterinarians. Now, there are veterinarians in other services, but 
as a veterinarian, it's, you have to be in the Army. Now, the Army farms us out to all the other services as they need to. So I've had some of my troops on a, a Navy base, a Marine base, even an Air Force base, as well as on Army installations, primarily taking care of the military working dogs. But the other function that we do, besides generally public health, is food inspection. Because when you leave the United States, you don't have the FDA and the USDA guaranteeing you a safe food supply. That was our job. So we would even go into plants uh, watching their uh, materials and methods of how they prepare the foods, how they packaged it. And also then we also would be in slaughterhouses to, for the, to watch the preparation of uh, carcasses for uh, inspection and for food consumption. So wow. In addition, <laughs> it was the best job yeah. in the world. I, my mom once asked me, she said, do you think you could have done anything you liked as much? And I said, no, I don't think so. I got to dabble in every aspect of the veterinary profession, and I was in, in the Army, so we went out and played soldier ever so often. <laughs> I got paid very well, and um, it was just wonderful. This job as a uh, parish priest is pretty good, and it's fast approaching <laughs> to being the best job in the world. But right now, I'd have to say an Army veterinarian is the best job Gotta in the be world. Interesting. Especially since you, how, how you've described it. I mean, you don't even think about all those aspects. Right. I mean, we're so spoiled. You know, we live here in the United States, and we just go to the grocery store and buy a pack of beef and don't even worry about it. Right. And now we're out, outside the country, and you have to worry about how the food is processed. And I, bought, I bet you saw some interesting, you know, processing. Well, there was some different things processing that were kind processes. of interesting. Yeah. Plus the fact... We have to, a lot of our, uh, for instance, the combat rations, they're in storage for often several years. Mm -hmm. So we have a periodic uh, a chart that we go through and we'll inspect them every so often to make sure they're still suitable. And if they're starting to deteriorate, then we expedite their uh, issue out to the troops so that we don't lose any money on those mm -hmm. as well. So it's a good job, it really is. So we're back with Father Rich. Uh, he's going to talk with us about Grunt Padre and the story of Father Vincent Capadano. Well, Father Capadano was um, a Navy chaplain. And the military, the United States military, has had chaplains in our military even before we were a country. In the colonial days, the minister would generally go out with the, uh, the troops if they were fighting Indians or if they were fighting the French or fighting whoever. Maybe their next-door neighbor uh, ticked them off about something. Mm -hmm. But the, the minister would usually go with them. And then when the, uh, when the Army was established, and the Navy also, they had a provision in there for chaplains. So there are currently um, nine of them were since uh, Father Capadano was awarded the Medal of Honor for his service during uh, Vietnam, there are nine chaplains in the history of the military that have been awarded the Medal of Honor. Now, it wasn't established until during the uh, war between the states, and four uh, chaplains were awarded the Medal of Honor during the Civil War, the war between the states. They were all Protestant ministers. In the 20th century, five additional chaplains were awarded the Medal of Honor. They were all Catholic. So uh, it's very interesting, uh, some of the stories behind it, and you wouldn't think, okay, what do they have a, a chaplain for? And why? And obviously, the founders of our country decided that was very important. Mm -hmm. um, people probably prayed more than what we do today, and maybe with good reason. But definitely, they realized the importance of it. And it is very important uh, even now 
why we have uh, chaplains in the military. The Army, and it, I can't remember exact numbers of how many are in the Army, but several thousand, and we have about 93 Catholic priests for the entire United States Army. Um, cha- units that are about a battalion size, which is around between 750 to 1,000 troops, are usually uh, on their um, list of uh, personnel, a chaplain is included. Now, obviously, not all of them are Catholic chaplains. And as a commander, even though I'm a Catholic, I would like to have a Catholic chaplain, but there's a great disadvantage to that. You'd almost prefer having a Protestant because you can use him for your troops. A Catholic you have to share with I don't know how many other units because the need for sacramental uh, sacraments and then also the needs for confessions. There's a lot of different things that a Catholic chaplain is the only one that can do that. He also does practically everything a Protestant chaplain does as far as counseling, as far as uh, holding services and things of that nature. So, and I was surprised, I, um, our unit was considered a battalion-sized unit, although we only had about 40 people. But we were issued, uh, the veterinarians were at a core level, and that was generally battalion size. Uh, we didn't have a chaplain. But I got to know and work with several different chaplains, both Catholic and Protestant, and had a great admiration for all of them. But I, I didn't realize until I was talking to one of the other commanders, and, and he was a good Catholic. I knew him from the chapel and everything. And he said, far rather have somebody other than a Catholic chaplain. I said, what? <laughs> Thank, Thank he you. He said, you got to share him. He's never there. He, you got to help. Uh, he's got to help out all these other units because he's the only one that can do certain things, uh, say mass, uh, offer the sacraments, and things of that nature. And so you have to share him with other units. So, and I didn't realize that until that point. But anyway, getting back to it, all of the uh, in the 20th century. We had one chaplain who was a naval uh, chaplain, was awarded the Medal of Honor during World War II. We had one chaplain uh, who was Father Emil Capon, who, by the way, is from Kansas, Correct. was awarded the Medal of Honor in Korea. Mm-hmm. And then we had three chaplains that were awarded the Medal of Honor in uh, Vietnam. Uh, Father Vince Capadano was a Navy chaplain, and he was awarded the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Also, uh, Father Charlie Walters, was a Catholic chaplain, and he was with the 173rd Airborne Unit. He was awarded the Medal of Honor. And the other one, my memory's slipping on me now. I can't remember right offhand who the third one was, but uh, all of them were Catholic chaplains. Unfortunately, oh, Father Leike, who, by the way, uh, he just recently passed away. He was awarded the Medal of Honor in Vietnam, but afterwards he became very involved with the anti-war movement, he is the only person in history that turned his Medal of Honor back oh, wow. t- through the unit, and he finally left the priesthood as well. So we need to pray for Father yeah. Leike. Um, but all of them, uh, Father Capadano and Father Charlie Walters were killed in action in Vietnam, and that is part of their being awarded the Medal of Honor. Father Emil Capon died in a POW camp during the Korean conflict. And uh, Father Callahan was on a naval ship, and he survived, and he uh, died, uh, I think, about 1970 or somewhere in that time Mm -hmm. frame. So uh, very heroic and very good priests. Uh, Not only were they taking care of their flock, but they were also trying to save lives as well. 
And that's one of the things that the chaplains do. In addition to providing for counseling, which is a lot of people, um, I've often joked that even uh, everybody's an atheist until the shooting starts. (laughs) But even then, (laughs) guys are very reluctant to go to the chaplain Mm -hmm. unless they've had a serious incident and they need to just talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the chaplains are for and what they do. In addition, they also uh, organize civic action projects where you take especially the medics and they would go into a village and uh, set up uh, health clinics for the people. The veterinarians are also involved with that because for some of those families, their animals are more important than their kids because that's their source of living. So they want those animals very well taken care of as well. And the chaplains kind of help organize all of that as well. In addition, there's uh, several other things that the chaplains are known to do. They provide religious ministry and they support those of their own faith. Uh, They facilitate for all religious beliefs. So like I said, the priest can do everything, pretty near everything that a a, a Protestant minister can do. And even a few things that a rabbi can do. Not all, but some things that a rabbi can do. But he does some things that only a Catholic priest can do. They also care for Marine, Navy, and Coast Guard personnel and their families. That's for a Navy uh, chaplain. The Army, cha- uh, Army has chaplains, and so does the Air Force. So I pity the poor Marine, uh, Navy chaplain that's assigned to a Marine unit because it's de- much different than being in a nice, clean, and shiny air, uh, aircraft carrier when you're out and going through the swamp with mm-hmm. the grunt Marines. So, and they also advise commanders to ensure the free exercise of religion. They are also aware of if there's a morale problem that they may uh, – because of the guys that are talking to them, they may become aware of that even before the commander does. So it's important. They're an important member of the staff. I do want to make one thing clear. You are a lieutenant colonel in the Army as a veterinarian. Yes. You were not a priest at that time, correct? No. Okay. So you became a priest after you'd... How many years did you do in the military? Uh, Just short of 28 years. 28 years. Okay. So this is a second... Second career, Second yes. career. Okay. Because as, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, they might be thinking, okay, he was a veterinarian and he was also uh, a priest in the military, but you were not. No. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons I went to the uh, seminary was once I got out of the Army, I didn't have a uniform to wear, and I found <laughs> out I'm not very fashion conscious, and black's a safe color. So <laughs> that wasn't the main reason, but it was a reason that I went to the seminary. So We're back with... Father Rich Dason, we're going to be speaking about the Grunt Padre, the story of Father Vincent Capadano. So continue on. Well, one of the first questions, I I got a sheet of questions (laughs) that you might want to ask me about. So one of the first questions was, who is Father Capadano? Well, he was born in in February in 1929. He was a Catholic priest. He was also a Mary Nolan missionary who was killed in action while serving as a Navy chaplain in Vietnam. He was with a uh, Marine uh, infantry unit. He uh, posthumously received uh, America's highest award military decoration, the Medal of Honor, for his uh, actions above and beyond the call of duty. And since that time, the Catholic Church has declared him a servant of God, which is one of the first steps towards being eventually being declared a saint. Now... There are many people, especially those who knew uh, Father Capadano personally, and especially some of the Marines that served with him, 
are already convinced he is a saint, whether the church ever gets around to doing it or not. So he was uh, born in Staten Island, New York. He was the youngest of 10 children. His father was an immigrant from Italy, and his mother was an Italian-American. He graduated from high school in uh, 1947, and then he took night classes from Fordham University for a year while he was working as an insurance clerk. And then in 1949, he entered the Marion Old Missionaries Seminary, and this included extensive studies not only in the seminary in New York, but also some out in Illinois and in Massachusetts. He was ordained a Catholic priest by Cardinal Francis Spielman in 1958. Now, his first assignment as a missionary was in 1959 on the island of Taiwan to the Chinese uh, living on the island of Taiwan. So he had to try and learn the language Mm. in addition to providing them spiritual direction and uh, helping them with their normal living. So he served in a parish, and later he was in a school. And then after six years, he returned to the United States and he was assigned after that to a Marinole school in Hong Kong. Now, he wasn't too happy about that assignment because I think he really wanted to go back to Taiwan, but he obedience is one of your uh, promises, so he went to Hong Kong. And shortly after that, he volunteered to be a military chaplain because the war in Vietnam was going on, and uh, it was escalating. This was during the mid-'60s. So he volunteered, and in, in 1965, he received a commission as a lieutenant in the Navy uh, Chaplain Corps. He requested to serve with the Fleet Marine Forces uh, in South Vietnam. And then he was assigned in 1966 to the 1st Battalion, the 7th Marines, the 1st Marine Division, which was in Vietnam at that time. And then he was transferred to the 1st Battalion, 1st Marine Division, until his year-long tour was up. During Vietnam, practically everyone served a year in Vietnam. Um, Most of the guys who were drafted only had a two-year obligation, so by the time they were trained up, if they served a year in uh, Vietnam, then they just had enough time to out-process and they were done with the military. Well, he uh, had his year in Vietnam, and so he went home for a month on leave, and then he requested another six months in Vietnam. So he went back after he'd served his first year. And uh, he was assigned to the 5th Marines. And uh, he befriended a lieutenant by the name of Frederick Smith, who was the future founder of Federal Express. I was going to say, that's a, yeah. that's a very common name if, if yeah. you're paying attention. Wow. And even before his death, he was widely known for his uh, willingness to serve and uh, with uh, most of the guys. Ordinarily, the chaplains were kept back at the base so that they could be of service when the guys came back in from the field. Mm-hmm. But Father Capadonna was known to be watching, and just as the helicopter was ready to take off, he'd run and jump on board and go with oh, the guys. Because really? he figured, you know, that's where I'm needed. Sure. And because uh, during Vietnam, uh, Marine infantrymen were known as grunts. Army infantrymen, too, but I think it originated with the Marines. And so when, uh, as a, as a um, great uh, title and uh, an honor to Father uh, Capadano, the uh, Marines called him the Grunt Padre because he was always out there with them. And then on Labor Day in 1967, uh, there was an operation going on, and the, uh, one of the battalions was uh, over, almost overrun 
by uh, the North Vietnamese Army. They were outnumbered more than four to one, so they requested help. And when Father Capadonna heard that, he went up to assist. They sent up two, uh, two more um, companies to help out, and so he went along with them. And he heard two platoons of M, um, M Company, which was from his battalion, were taking casualties. So he went up and relocated with those and went among the wounded and the dying Marines, uh, helping and comforting them and giving them last rites. And that afternoon, uh, Mortar Round came in and he was wounded in both the arms and his legs. His right hand was almost blown off as well as his right uh, arm was in bad, but he, he didn't stop. They kept telling him, you need to be taken care of, and he kept going. And whenever he'd find uh, one of the wounded Marines out by himself, he'd drag him back to safety. And uh, so anyway, they, uh, a medic went out to help a wounded Marine, mm-hmm. and he himself, he was a, within a few yards of a machine gun, and he was shot, and he needed help. So uh, Father Capadonna went out to help both of them, and he turned with his back to the machine gun to protect the other two Marines, and uh, all three of them were killed Mm -hmm. at that time. Now, his body was recovered, and he's buried in his family plot in St. Peter's Cemetery on Staten Island. But all of the Marines were saying, Father, get down, (laughs) and he just kept on going. So... Uh, on uh, December 27, uh, 1968, the Secretary of the Navy notified his family that he would be posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, and the ceremony was held on January 7, 1969. So he became the second naval um, chaplain to be awarded the Medal of Honor and one of five um, priests to be awarded the Medal of Honor uh, in the 20th century. So, that is amazing. Just yes. the story in itself is just Amazing, and, and of course, no one um, in in all the years that you were in the military, were you ever in combat? Were you ever close to combat? No, I can't imagine. I think the uh, I think the country wanted to win the war, so they never <laughs> sent me. And um, the closest I came was uh, in Bosnia. Um, I'm, my unit was deployed down there, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I uh, actually carried a loaded weapon. And uh, when we were out on and I had made up my mind before I went, uh, came on active duty. Um, there was a, a villager in Honduras commented to a friend of mine. He said, yours is the only army I know that carries unloaded weapons. So I said, if I'm ever going to carry a weapon, it's going to be loaded. I don't want there to be any doubt about mm-hmm. it. And so whenever we go outside the wire or go out on a, a mission while I was in Bosnia, we'd put the magazine in. We wouldn't chamber around, but we'd put the magazine in, so it was a loaded weapon. Mm-hmm. So, Wow. But that's the closest. Um, that's interesting. Well, what do you think? Okay, you talk about uh, Father Capadano was one of ten. He was the youngest of ten, correct? One, yes, okay. of his family. And, and so... And, of course, we aren't familiar. You might be. I'm not. We're obviously a German community. So right. um, the Italian families are a different um, – I mean, uh, everybody loves their families, but Italians seem to be a little bit different. There's a closeness yes. there. And a, and a, uh, so how do you think, growing up in an Italian family, how do you think that affected his selflessness as an adult and, more importantly, out in, in the field of battle? I mean, you know, our, our natural instincts is when someone's shooting, run, yeah. run the other way, you know, get well, out. part of it was that he uh, – uh, I think two or three of his older brothers were in the service, 
And so that kind of, and he was the youngest, so he always probably looked up to his older brothers. That probably influenced him to a great degree also. Plus, being the youngest, and I don't think they were wealthy, so I imagine there was some sacrifice being done all the time. I mean, there's 10 in the family, and Dad can only, his salary probably wasn't the best in the world, but he provided for his family. But they didn't have any extras from what I could gain by reading about his sure. growing up. So, and then he was very impressed with the, they got the Marino uh, magazine, and I think he was impressed with that was the reason he decided on a vocation as a missionary with the Marinoles. Um, and I think he would, I th from what I was able to uh, glean from uh, looking things up, he was very happy with his assignment as a missionary to the uh, Taiwanese people. Mm -hmm. He was in a mountainous region, so he was probably the only one that didn't speak very good uh, Chinese. So, mm -hmm. but, uh, so then I think that was why he wasn't very happy about his assignment to Hong Kong, even though it was a school, and they do speak more English in Hong Kong than they do in rural parts of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that was part of it, and then... Uh, with Vietnam going on, I think he decided he, the Marines probably needed some help, and that was why, and that's probably why he requested to be allowed to join the military. And he specifically uh, became a naval chaplain. So, we need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. The story of Father Capadano with Father Rich Days will be right back, right here on Divine Mercy Radio. back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. The story of Father Capadano. Father Rich Days. Jim Mall conducts the interview. So again, we're speaking with Father Rich Days concerning the story of Father Vincent Capadano, who is been known as the Grunt Padre, and you've already explained a little bit, Father Rich, about what the duties of a war zone chaplain is, and you've already explained they do go into battle, um, but and you explained why he was the Grunt Padre, but one of the things that I thought of, you're in the military, um, you had orders, that, or you had things you could and couldn't do, right. could or could not do, um, and you just mentioned that as soon as the helicopter fired up, he would run and jump in. What did he risk? If his lieutenant, lieutenant colonel was back here saying, where are you going? What are you doing, soldier? And he disobeyed orders. Was he also at risk of being reprimanded he when he got back? could disciplined, yes. But also the fact if he, the commander was worth his salt, he realized what a benefit that was to his troops and how that was really affecting morale mm -hmm. rather than saying, okay, Padre, get back here <laughs> yeah. where you belong. Mm -hmm. Instead, it was probably better to look the other way and – and then when he got back, say, you know, you're not supposed to do that. What happens if you get hurt? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. But I think if he, again, if it was a commander worth his salt, he was going to let him go because that was building the morale of his troops. And plus the fact he probably realized, just like Father Capadonna did, that's where he was really needed, was where the fighting was going on, mm -hmm. where the guys were getting hurt, or maybe needed their last rites, and uh, so that's why he went. 
That makes sense. It, yeah. it, it does, but it is also um, it doesn't make sense, as you said. Most chaplains are to be, uh, you know, back at the base, um, and usually <laughs> when they come back, if a soldier comes back, he's he's injured. He's not coming back to the base anyway. You know, he's either going right. to a military hospital or a mass unit. I don't know what they right. had back then. Uh, well, in Vietnam they had mass units, obviously, yes. and so obviously he. F- he knew what he where he was needed, even yes. above and beyond what the uh, the job described. The other thing too, and as I said, I've met a lot of uh, chaplains, both uh, Catholic and Protestant. But a lot of the Catholic chaplains would go and do exactly like Father Capadano did. The Protestant chaplains, and nothing against them, they did excellent job. But they also many of them had a family that they were thinking about. True. So, you think about that, yeah. So they were would not go and jump on a helicopter as going into a combat zone, uh, like Father Capadano did. Mm-hmm. So, well, do you have other stories or, or things that people said about Father Capadano um, that you'd like to share about him? That was, you know, that stood out to you, you being in the military, and like I said again, I was never in the military. My dad was in World War II and Korea, but. I grew up as as you did in a generation. If your parents or your aunts or uncle or your uncles uh, served in the military, they never talked about it. Not My hardly at all. My dad no. never told stories about being in the military. He, I, it was something. I guess they just wanted to forget, but it never came up. Well, uh, all of my brothers, my oldest brother uh, tried to join uh, join the Navy in World War II, and he had a lazy eye, and so he went into Merchant Marine. During World War II, the Merchant Marine was activated as part of a part of the Navy, as was the Coast Guard. Uh, generally, the Merchant Marine and the Coast Guard are under the Department of Transportation. They're not under the Department of Defense. However, their chaplains come from the, the Navy. So they're, they're Navy chaplains serving either with the Coast Guard. And so my oldest brother liked the Merchant Marine, and he stayed in for about 16, 18 years. And he would tell about his adventures going on other sure, places. Sure. Um, and he also, about the, all he mentioned was, you know, the merchant ships are usually not very lightly armed, if at all. And so you didn't have much of a chance if you were going into hostile waters. Mm-hmm. But uh, my brother, uh, my second brother served in the Navy. And uh, he was in, uh, called up during, he served, I think, 22 days short of uh, two years when he first went in. And then he went to, uh, got his degree and was teaching vocational agriculture when the Korean War broke out. And the Navy called him back for 22 months, a month for each day. He didn't serve a full year. So uh, he really, he's very prou- was very proud of his mm-hmm. service, but uh, the Navy was not his cup of tea. My third brother, though, was uh, making, going to make the Navy a career, and he was an aircraft mechanic. And uh, he was killed, uh, it was uh, just a boat accident uh, while he was on active duty. It wasn't part Sorry. of the training or anything, he just uh, was killed as part of that. And uh, then my sister, her husband was a, uh, infantry, a combat infantryman during World War II in the European theater. Wow. So. They kind of had, and the fact that my dad wasn't too crazy about the military. <laughs> if there's a war, you go and you serve, and then you get out. Yeah. And here, all of his sons and both of his grandsons were served in the military. Really? So, but that's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's that. But your dad didn't serve. No, he was um, he was too young for World War One and too old for World War Two. Yeah, that's kind of where I ended up. At. Yeah, I was so. too young for Vietnam and. 
too old for the Gulf War. Right. So I guess I was lucky. I don't know. Maybe, maybe That's not. That's just the way things, and just, things work out sometimes. Well, we know where um, Father uh, Capodanno died, or excuse me, how he died, but I was reading, I do a little research on this, but g- elaborate on that a little bit, because you mentioned they turned his back to a machine gun, but how many times was he actually shot? He was hit 27 times. That's what I read. And uh, so he probably died instantly, yeah. but still... <laughs> Getting shot 27 times, you'd think, it's you know, one, once enough. Yeah, but, uh, yeah and, and that's what I was thinking. Everybody said, oh, he just got popped once and that was it. But no, he took 27 rounds right. in the back. And primarily because he turned his back on the machine gun to protect those two uh, Marines who wow. were also hit by the machine gun burst. Sure. So, but anyway, they, they brought his body back and he was buried in his home cemetery back on, on Staten Island. And then in... Uh, 2002, they began uh, opening his cause for canonization. And in 2004, the initial document was submitted uh, to the uh, Congression for the Cause of Saints, and the active uh, petitioner was his biographer, uh, a Daniel Mode, because Daniel Mode was in the, a, the Navy he was a Navy chaplain, and while he was in the seminary, he wrote a dissertation on Captain pa- uh, Father Capodanno. Oh, interesting. And so he was named the p- uh, petitioner. And then uh, he was designated in uh, 2006, he was designated a servant of God, and uh, it was announced by uh, Archbishop uh, Edwin O'Brien of the Archdiocese for Military Services. Now, unfortunately, You'd think everything was going smooth, but there was a hiccup because Rome got to looking at it and said, okay, this was submitted, but it's more like his combat action. You know, admittedly, he gave his life, but was it more as a, as a mm. soldier for the United States or sure. was it as a priest taking wow. care of his flock? So, and the other thing that was kind of strange was the military archdiocese had submitted this, and they were sponsoring his cause for canonization. Mm-hmm. The Mary Knowles hadn't. So they're saying, okay, he was a Mary Knowles priest, and the Mary Knowles aren't giving him any support here. And so they sent it back. But they uh, corrected that. They wrote about more of his, uh, his early life as a, a missionary on Taiwan, as a missionary in the school in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and several other things, as well as the Mary Knowles finally got on board, and they were co-sponsoring him for the cause for canonization. Um, Interesting story, and I hadn't realized that uh, he there was that hiccup that they kind of. I don't know that they sent it back, but they put a, they were kind of suspending mm-hmm. his cause for uh, canonization. So, um, well, one of the things that that came up in my mind, Father Rich, is you you mentioned that Father Capitano is um, in the process of being becoming a saint. What is the canonization, canonization process and how long does it normally take? I mean, I, I read uh, my Magnificat every, every night before I go to bed, and there's always an article about a saint right. in there, and it talks about, well, this person died back in you know, 1614 or whatever, and they, were, they became a saint in 1971 or something. Right. So I mean, it takes several hundred years sometimes for some of these people to become saints, and other people become saints. You know, we, we have current saints, St. Teresa, uh, St. John Paul, you know, people that we knew in our lifetime. Right. That wasn't one of the questions you asked me, but okay. (laughs) I think you might have the answer. (laughs) Okay. I hope. Well, basically, um, what happens is, obviously, uh, 
Father Capadano, and obviously Pope John Paul II, Mother Teresa, people could recognize that as they were living, they were living the life of a living saint. Mm -hmm. So people were wanting to get them uh, canonized. Others, you know, there is the initial effect, and there are some that will be forever a blessed or forever a venerable Mm -hmm. because there is no longer the push and no longer a guild that is really supporting and pushing to have him at that person canonized. So it may take forever, and some of them it may take a very short time. Ordinarily, it's usually five years after the person dies before they begin the process of canonization. Okay. And it basically starts out, and they submit all their information. And then, uh, now, for instance, I don't know, uh, Father Capadano, there has been one miracle that's been accredited to him. Um, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but a, a lady, I think, had uh, uh, multiple sclerosis or something of that nature and was suffering. And she prayed to uh, Father Capadano and received a remission or a miraculous cure. Nice. Um, So anyway, they kind of collect all that information. They also go back and they find out now what didn't happen uh, initially was they didn't go back to Giddy's early life and all about Mm -hmm. this. They probably just skimmed over that because they wanted to zero in about what happened near Labor Day in 1967, mm-hmm. where he gave his life to for his flock. So they have to go back now and kind of, re, and, and they have gone back and kind of reemphasize that. But so they, they uh, after five years, then they will kind of uh, go through, and if uh, it's a, they think that there is an interest there, then the uh, Congregation for the Cause of Saints will send back and he will be declared a servant of God. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. Then the second step, and ordinarily then, they will send some more paperwork, and usually then you can, people are already starting to pray for him. For instance, there have been a lot of people here in Kansas and probably in the Army and throughout the world praying for Captain Emil Capon. Mm -hmm. And so basically then they submit additional information and especially if there has been a miracle that they have attributed to his cause, they will submit that, and then he will be declared venerable. And after that, again, there's more paperwork, more <laughs> waiting, more praying, a lot of praying. And if they, then they submit additional uh, information regarding this individual, his, uh, the life he has led, uh, miracles that may be attributed to his intercession, and then he will be beatified, and he will be called blessed. Wow. And then you go back again, you'll need another miracle before they can go in and have him declared a saint. So, yes. It's a process. It may be from 1600 to 1972 yeah. before they're—and it may be longer. They may be venerable forever. Hmm. But it's kind of like I personally believe Father Capadano and also Father Emil Capon. Sure. I believe they're saints. I, I believe they are standing in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And whether the Catholic Church realizes that or not doesn't matter to yeah. me. I believe it. Amen. I, I believe it too. So, um, Father Rich, we have a few more minutes, uh, probably about another five to seven minutes that we can discuss. Uh, anything, else, anything else you want to talk about, Vincent Capadano, or anything you want to talk about, your military experience or, or your joy? You, you mentioned you had the best job, and now you're working on you know, the next best job. You know. Well, I have a feeling this one has uh, some benefits even that an <laughs> Army veterinarian didn't have. Yeah. But, uh, no, uh, 
I mentioned that I did have a good association with practically all of the chaplains. Now, Catholic chaplains, they don't have a family. So a lot of times uh, I would get to know them, and we might go to a movie or we might go to a, a dinner theater or something together. Uh, so I got to know, especially the Catholic chaplains. But when I was assigned to the uh, Sinai uh, with the uh, uh, peacekeeping force, in uh, uh, there was a, chap- a, ca- a Protestant chaplain that was assigned to our unit. Now, there was a battalion of 82nd Airborne was assigned as the uh, peacekeepers in the south part. We were the logistics part, so mm-hmm. we provided we provide the food, we provide the medicine, we provide all of that to not only the 82nd Airborne, but also there was a battalion of Colombian troops that were there. And in the north part of the, of the Sinai, there was a battalion of, Fij- of Fijians. Okay. And it was interesting working with all those different people. There was 11 different nations represented in the peacekeeping wow. force. But uh, the chaplain that was assigned to our unit, which we were a logistic unit, he was a Protestant, and I got to know him fairly well also. Now, the 82nd Airborne had a, a uh, Catholic chaplain, and he would come up about every two weeks on a Wednesday night, and he'd say Mass for us up in the North Camp. The North Camp, we didn't have quite of a problem because that's where the uh, Colombian unit was stationed, and they had a Catholic chaplain. Okay. So we'd go into their dining facility, <laughs> and there'd be all of those uh, young Colombian troops there, and then there'd be a little section over here where you'd have about a dozen Fijians, um, half a dozen Americans, two or three French, and that was where all of the rest of us fit in to yeah. go to Mass every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it worked out fairly, fairly well. So It's just intriguing to me, and I don't know if anybody else caught this number, but you mentioned that, that uh, a military chaplain at whatever uh, religion they were from, the numbers are about one in 1,000. Is that about, you said Probably between 800, 850 to 1,000 yeah. soldiers yes. or troops to one. And not uh, only the troops, but their families as well. So that uh, in some cases could almost double that number right. or maybe more. Now, usually on an installation, for instance, Fort Riley, you have an installation uh, chaplain as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as the individual units, yeah. Uh, and like I said, that poor commander's got to share his yeah, chaplain with everybody else because, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they're on a uh, deployed mm-hmm. or they're on an exercise, uh, if they're in uh, in the base, then the, most of the people use the uh, the chaplains, and the chaplains that are assigned to a unit take a rotation, so they'll say mass at the uh, base inst- uh, base chapel, and uh, also have a communion uh, penance service, they go out and they help out with that as well. So they fill in while they're there. And then when they, his unit goes, he goes with them. So the priest that's at the, or the father that's in charge of the uh, chapel there on the base, last week he was rich, he could kind of sit back, he only had one mass he had to celebrate <laughs> on Sunday, now he's got four masses he's got to celebrate sure. on Sunday. So It's, it's just intriguing that, that is, there's not a... Uh, a, a higher number or, or a greater amount of, of chaplains in the military, uh, obviously the need is there. There's no well, doubt. Look at Hayes. Now, we are very rich in that I've got an associate, and so does Father Nick. Mm-hmm. But we're not uh, rolling in the uh, wealth of all the ch- priests we've got here either. And there are some other places that instead of having an associate, there would just be one at each parish. Mm-hmm. If that... And then you also may have to share with another chapel, another parish somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we need vocations. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. So talk about that. I mean, you've, you've been through it. And it's funny because as you're talking about the canonization process, I thought it, that's, that's more difficult than becoming a priest. Very much so because <laughs> um, the church is very careful about who they elevate. As Now, the saints are the ones we pray to. The saints are also the examples we have for our young and for, for us as well. Sure. So you want to make sure you have somebody – that you're fairly confident stands in the presence of God before you elevate them to be a saint. Um, as I said, I'm convinced that Father Capadano and Father Emil Capon and probably Fa uh, Father Callahan, who was, uh, uh, received the Medal of Honor during World War II, as well as, uh, as uh, Father Charlie Waters, I think they all stand in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And I hope that Father Leike, even though he left the priesthood, I hope that one day he, too, will stand in the presence of God. Sure. Well, thank you so much for our time. The information was very informative. Appreciate it. Um, if you'd be so kind to close us uh, with prayer, and we'll uh, let the crowd come in the studio. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you especially for this radio station, which helps us to evangelize, to put your word and your gospel out to our fellow man, both Catholic and Protestant, and those who don't believe anything, to, so that they know what you have taught us and what you hope for them to believe. We ask you, your help and your guidance in our evangelization efforts. Please watch over our young people and our old people. Keep them safe and in your service. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may the blessings of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you have a comment on this show or an idea for a future show, go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. Or you can text your comment or idea to 785-621-4110. And folks, don't forget, great shows like this one you just heard are listener-supported. If you can support this station and help save souls for heaven, go to dvmercy.com and click on the Donate button. You're listening to the Network of Stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Mm -hmm.